Welcome to the Business of Freelancing podcast, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live an overall happier life freelancing. I'm your host, Brendan Dunn, and today I'm joined with Matt Englot. And Matt has a really cool story. So when I went from being a freelance consultant individually to running a team, and that kind of had me go from myself to a network of, uh, at the time, or at the peak, rather, eight subcontractors. And after that, I kind of migrated everything to becoming more or less a brick and mortar agency. So at our peak, we had 11 employees. We had a 4,500 square foot office downtown. We had done build out. We had all this kind of fancy stuff. We had clients who were all over the world. I mean, we were, we, you know, it was was a legitimate web agency. And, um, and why I wanted to bring Matt on and, and, and what's really interesting about his story is he went from. Um, he kind of took that same path. He actually, I think while in college, he started his agency and he rented out an office and then grew to a bigger office. And then he decided to shut down the brick and mortar office and go completely remote and completely virtual. I think he went off to Croatia or something for a few weeks after doing that. Um, he now has employees who are kind of scattered throughout the world and I wanted him to come on because I get a lot of questions from people, um, a lot of people specifically who are on my um, on or interested in my masterclass, which is sort of the product I have for uh, people who want to kind of go down that path and want to build their own agency. But the question that I get uh, asked to me is, you know, brick or mortar, yay or nay? And I have thoughts on that. Um, I... And we'll repeat some of this in the discussion, but I um, I started my office for two reasons. The first is I wanted to have kind of a an on-site team. You know, I wanted to walk in every day and see activity. I wanted to see um, people and, and talk with people and collaborate with people and, and get stuff done and, and, and kind of have that sort of, um, you know, on-site bond with people. And the second thing, and this is kind of the more uh, strategic uh, need, I guess, for, for doing that was I knew that a lot of clients uh, perceived companies that don't have a physical location as being more risky than the alternatives. So I wanted an office where we could bring in prospective clients. We could bring in a lead and say, hey, look at all the, you know, look at our, look at our team. They're hard at work. We have these fancy Apple cinema displays and so on. And my bet was that, and this bet paid off, and I explained this um, a lot in a lot of my writing, writing, but my bet was that if a lead could walk in and see 11 employees, see an office, see equipment, that, you know, subconsciously they would think, well, they must be doing something right. Like they must, to be able to afford the overhead of this, they need a they obviously have clients who are paying them. So they're not kind of, they're not a fly by night company. They're not like working out of the basement, working out of the coffee shop where, uh, you know, you're talking to them one day and then the next day they're no longer there. So that was my, uh, that was my kind of strategic, uh, reason for opening up the office. But again, um, I want to jump now into the interview I had with Matt. Um, I think you'll, especially if you're kind of looking to expand, I think you'll get a lot of out of this uh, out of this discussion. 
Hey everyone, so I'm here with Matt Inglot. Uh, Matt runs Tilted Pixel, which is a website development company up, uh, up I was going to say Toronto, but I know you just corrected me on that. Waterloo. Waterloo, okay. Somewhere up in the frigid north <laughs> is how I look at it. Um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to bring Matt on because he's got a really, what's interesting about Matt is he's bootstrapped his own agency. He's had, you know, office space personnel and everything else like that but he made the decision to kind of um lower overhead i guess is the best way to put it he gave up his office um i assume and we'll find out in a second that he went uh 100 virtual but you know he was telling me that he was able to spend six weeks in europe um and just be able to take two months off which is a much anytime i tried to get away from the office it always ended up biting me because um, a lot of the people who worked for me kind of uh, expected that I had a kind of like an obligation to be on site. So I'm I'm really interested to, see, to hear Matt's story and most importantly to figure out what, um you know, if you're in the position where you have been growing your business and you are thinking about taking that next step forward and thinking about, well, do I hire an employee, you know, my first employee? Do I open up, uh, do I get a lease on an office? Um, I want to hear Matt's opinion. So, uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Um, tell me about thanks. yourself. What uh, what got you into running your own agency? Uh, thanks, Brandon. Glad to be here. Uh, and actually, I'll start by mentioning it was actually six weeks in Croatia, uh, not New York, uh, which is kind of cool because Croatia is in Europe. So there was a bit of a time zone difference as well. Right. No, um, actually, I thought I said Europe, but yeah. Oh, okay. oh Croatia. I, yeah. <laughs> but so you were running you were running the company from Croatia and Poland. Uh, from Croatia and from Poland. Yes, cool. I've okay. done both. So let, let's start a little further back. So, um, did you work full time somewhere or freelance before you decided to grow into a, a consultancy? Sure. Good question. So I've had almost no real jobs in the past. Um, so so-called. I've had a couple kind of summer jobs as a student uh, working at tech companies. But actually what got me into Tilted Pixel was because I had this amazing uh, job at a startup company while in my second year of university. Uh, They were making really killer virtual reality technology. It was basically a dream job for a university student. Um, But being a startup, they unfortunately ran out of money. So I came in one day and suddenly found out that that paycheck that was paying for my new freedom of living on my own, paying my own tuition, was suddenly gone. So that's where I realized, well, I need to do something. I've always been involved in business a little bit, and I knew how to build websites. Uh, So I started hustling, and I started talking to everyone I know and telling them I build websites. And that got me to my first client, actually, surprisingly quickly. Uh, And from there, I just uh, kind of built it client by client. And that's really how I got started. So within about a year of that kind of fateful day, uh, I was actually making enough money where the bank account was going back up instead of counting on student loans uh, to kind of keep me afloat. Right. So I assume you did you were pretty successful and then you had the option like I did of rejecting work or growing a team. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, exactly what happened is it got to the point where the work was kind of running the decisions. It's like, okay, 
and can no longer do this work myself, this actually looks like it could be quite profitable. Um, so let's actually turn it into a company. So you get the stars in your eyes and you start thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have an office. I'm going to have an employee or employees. I'm, I'm young. I can do this. Um, and that's kind of what got me on that path. Mm -hmm. So what did, what did that transition look like to you? How, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it sounded like you'd never really, you, you worked at that one startup, but you really hadn't, you'd never been in management, I assume before. Get That's, becoming the owner of, of, a, of, of an agency, right? Yep, exactly. Never worked for an agency. Uh, my entire real management experience was going to business school. <laughs> okay. um, and that was basically it. Very little practical hands-on stuff. But it just uh, the transition was just a matter of necessity. So mm -hmm. uh, at that point, I was still in university. Um, but I decided, okay, well, I'm going to get an office space and I'm going to hire my first uh, full-time employee. It was uh, another developer. Um, so I was doing this, going to my office, giving my developer work, and I was also going to class at the same time. Oh, wow. Okay. So you yeah. actually had a brick-and-mortar office while, while being in college, while you were in college. Yes, sir. Wow. Uh, okay. I, I rented some office space. Uh, I think I was paying a thousand bucks a month, hired a full-time developer, um, and it was it was working. Uh, I wasn't getting much sleep, mind you, uh, and I had to switch to part time for a few terms. But I actually had the beginnings of a brick and mortar website development business, all being really financed by a combination of the work that was coming in and dipping back a little bit into the student loan uh, line of credit that I had before. So before we get into the decision to kind of reverse that decision. What um what are some of the pros? What are some of the benefits that you think in, in having that office? Signage. Uh that was probably the number one thing. We had a gigantic sign uh on a very busy street. Mm -hmm. And that means uh whenever I introduced myself to other people and I said tilted pixel uh, they'd be like, oh, I've seen your sign somewhere. And I'd be like, yeah, right by the Swiss Chalet, which is a restaurant nearby. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen you. So suddenly we became a known brand uh, throughout uh, much of a city, mm -hmm. uh, which was which was huge for us, obviously. Uh, made introductions a lot easier and just made us look more like, I guess, a real player in the business. Right. Uh, so that was nice. Uh, another benefit, uh, is the fact that, yeah, you, it's kind of a double-edged sword, but you are potentially working together with your staff in the same place. So it's easier to form relationships and convert, have meaningful conversations, uh, solve work problems really quickly. Uh, and sometimes that is really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but that there is some fine print to that is some of the same things that, make that really excellent are some of the things that also make office space really terrible because it does prevent you from developing better work processes because you can interrupt the guy that's working next to you right. and be like, Hey, how do, how do we go about solving this? Mm -hmm. Which if you're a programmer, that's the worst thing you can do to someone. <laughs> so I assume you didn't have an, or you, did you have an open floor plan? Yes, we did. And we actually, we went through two offices. So we went through a smaller space at first, 
which was really nice. It was a thousand bucks a month, and uh, it it if you really crammed it in, you could fit five desks in there. Plus, there was a meeting room. We had a small like little mini fridge and one of those uh, single cup coffee makers, which like to randomly squirt you with scalding hot water. <laughs> uh, and it was nice, but. Like the power, we we were actually tripping the power breaker almost every day with all of our computers, and you know it gets to the point where it gets really uncomfortable when you're working next to four other people in very tight quarters. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I had this, uh, yeah, and I had this opportunity uh, to uh, get a loan for the business at a very good interest rate thanks to this special program. Um, so I figured, well, at that point, we had me and three other people. It was time to expand. Uh, so what I did was I actually leased out a space that was three times bigger. Mm-hmm. And even worse, uh, I, I decided I, I wanted the perfect space. So it got to the point where we tore out a whole bunch of walls, did a whole bunch of very expensive remodeling, um, as well as acquiring a rent payment that's now three times as large as our previous payment. Um, the space was beautiful, uh, no doubt, and it was all open concept uh, with a couple small offices slash break rooms, things like that, but mostly just big space to work in. So did, did you associate success with the office space, the build out and everything? Like, was that a, was that a milestone for you? Um, with your business and did you did you look at that as being kind of like a hallmark to you taking the business to the next level oh absolutely uh actually when the remodel was getting finished i happened to be uh off in calgary for a week so i came back just as the new office was ready the sign was on the door uh like we had we had an even bigger sign um go figure so you know, the sign was there, the office space was done, and I definitely have photos still of me, you know, just beaming, standing under that giant thing. Uh, and this was our new space, and I absolutely was proud of that. Uh, and I definitely did associate uh, not just the office space, but also uh, the amount of employees we had as kind of real metrics of success. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, we're we're a real business, basically, because we have employees, we have office space. You know, there's a guy that comes every week and delivers four bottles of water for the water cooler. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember I remember all that. Yeah. <laughs> so what um okay, so you but you shut it down. Like you 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 reversed your decision to have the bigger office where you're paying three thousand a month to have this beautiful office that you'd build out. What um why do, why do you change your mind? Uh, very good question. So what it all came down to is things were great for about a month. Afterwards, I kind of started having this little voice in my head, just this little whisper that maybe this wasn't the best idea. But it was a whisper. You know, if you had asked me, like, are you happy with the space and everything, I would have given you a 100% confident, truthful answer uh, that we were. Um but that voice kind of stayed there. And about a year and a half into the bigger space, something like that, uh, I finally decided to go and actually get rid of the office entirely. So what happened in between that little whisper and deciding to shut things down 
Uh, it was kind of a couple things. Uh, obviously, financially, it was it was a really big overhead to take on. Uh, when you're writing a rent check that's more than three times as big as the one you were writing before, you start realizing how much money that actually is. That's just going out the door. And, I mean, we were good for it. Um, but it got to the point where in order to be good for it and to pay the employer's sal- employee salary, basically I had a very big number that I knew I had to meet every month. So suddenly the focus of the business became and, and the focus of my day became how do we make sure that we have enough money in the bank next month uh, to pay that overhead, mm-hmm. uh, which suddenly meant that we, we no longer had any luxuries about what jobs we took on. Uh, if there was a quote, if uh, there was a quote request uh, to our company, uh, we were bidding on that project, uh, no doubt. Because um, you had, to, I mean, you had these fixed overhead, this, these fixed expenses that you had to take care of each month. So you had to bring in the right amount of income each month to stay afloat. Yeah, absolutely, and it became a treadmill uh, because some of the work that we were taking on was not necessarily growth work. Mm-hmm. It was work that would pay the bills once, but there was no real future with that client. There was no real opportunity to take all that work we put into the initial sale into that project and leverage it into something that's worth five to ten times more down the road. Sure. Uh, they needed a website. We offered website services, and the two kind of connected. Um, and because of that as well, because we needed the sale, because we didn't have the luxury really of saying no, because you never knew what else would come through the door, uh, that also meant we got into some other nasty things, like people would come back and say, well, you know, vendor B is charging this much. Can you lower the rate? Um, and it, it got into a real like price competition thing as well. Um, so you'd get into situations where you make it, you make enough money on the project that you're paying that overhead and it's kind of like, okay, great, um, that's that much less overhead to worry about, but you're not actually really making much profit off that project. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, you're spinning this massive machine and you're paying for this machine, but you're not really getting the returns because you can't really – invest the time into finding the right clients and building the right relationships because, you know, that machine needs to get fed and it needs to get fed it's now. It's a constant struggle to keep it fueled, which doesn't let you really sit back and actually work on the business. You're always working in it to stay afloat. Absolutely. So what, um, what did your team, I mean, how did you, how did you approach your team about that? I mean, and you didn't even go from, I don't think you didn't go and say like, Hey, we're getting rid of the office, but we're all like, meet at Starbucks each week or something, or, you know, we'll, we'll work locally together and, you know, move from coffee shop to coffee shop. You actually went across the ocean sometime after that, right? Well, no. Uh, well, yes and no. So uh, I, I, I do live in Waterloo. The Croatia and Poland were came a little bit later. Okay. Uh, so you didn't as... shut down the office and then go overseas? No, I didn't do that. That that would have been cool. That would have been a very <laughs> Tim Ferriss thing to do because I think that's more or less what he did. Uh, I, I took a little bit more time than that, but those those adventures were actually really key in proving the virtualization framework afterwards. Mm-hmm. But for the first while, I mean, I was definitely in Waterloo. I'm in Waterloo talking to you right now. Um, 
but uh, basically what happened was uh, the timing kind of worked out a little bit that one person had chosen to leave uh, for another opportunity. Uh, so it was kind of like less one less person to worry about at that time. Um, so kind of everything kind of came to a head where it's like, all right, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this now. Everyone else was obviously a little shocked. Uh, it's like, what the heck's happening? But, you know, I had a very frank chat with my team and explained, you know, this is not the way to growth and we can keep doing this. And I know you love, I know there's things we all love about the office. And I know that was kind of a major milestone to set it up. But, you know, let's look logically at what's happening. And maybe this is just not the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. And over time, I mean, the team kind of shifted as well as to who was working for us. And I went away from hiring employees as well and focused more, uh, I I think, kind of similar to uh, what uh, I think you did, too, is uh, just focus more on hiring contractors. Mm -hmm. So over time, it kind of became more of a team of uh, mostly contract people uh, that we know and trust and work with us, but um, they're not people that we know we have to pay this much to every single month, regardless of whether the work is there. Right. So did did your team feel threatened with the transition? Did they think that maybe the health of Tilted Pixel was on the decline or anything like that? Or were you able to kind of overcome any of those fears? Well, I think we overcame it as well as we could have, quite frankly, unless you ask them. I mean, I'll never, I'll as the boss, I'll never really know. Uh-huh. Uh, I have no idea what goes through someone's mind uh, after that kind of transition. I can tell you we did hire more people later on and they decided to join us despite being virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's kind of like a death knell where the company's gone virtual. There's no way this can work. But I think for the people that were already working for us, I mean, for sure, that that was kind of shocking. And I think if I put myself in their shoes, uh, you know, whether they would admit it or not, I'd say they must have been worried. Right. But, you know, it, it looked face on like, okay, uh, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. They, they took it well. So how did how did your how did the day to day running of the company change when you no longer had a team in the office that you could physically cl- collaborate with? Uh, it went surprisingly well. I think it's one of those things that once you 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 kind of talk yourself up as this is going to be so hard, but you go and you do it, and it turns out to be remarkably easy. And I think we're also in the right time technologically to make that possible. Yeah, the so, right tools, yeah. Yeah, when when I started the business, uh, we actually had a VPN. So you could VPN and access the work computers. And if a work computer crashed, then, you know, you were kind of out of luck. Uh, someone had to reset it for you. Or if it was 3 a.m., you had to drive down and reset it yourself. Uh, whereas now, it's all cloud everything. Yep. So uh, I, I can do anything tilted pixel from anywhere in the world and from any computer. Uh, just give me my password file, and that's literally all I need. So we were able to take advantage of all of that cloud technology. We had instituted a cloud-based project management system about a year or two before that. Uh, we had Skype. We had Dropbox. So it was more just adjusting to these technologies mm-hmm. and just coming up with a good workflow of how often should we like meet online and talk to each other 
Uh, how do we communicate without, you know, interrupting each other and at the same time of not letting things sit that really should be talked about? Um, so it was a lot of just understanding how the dynamics work. And once we got a hang of that, it became really easy, quite frankly. Yeah, I remember, actually, I remember I was at LessConf, which is a conference in Atlanta a few years ago. And um, Jason Fried and David Hanemer Hansen were there. And they were talking about how 37 Signals, you know, because half their company is remote and the other half is on site in Chicago. And we were wondering, how, how does that dynamic work? Like, how do you, because you have water cooler discussions that happen, you know, when you have an office, right? Like you have people go out to lunch together. These relationships get strong, which can sometimes negatively affect remote employees. And um, it was funny. I think what Jason said was at the office baked into their culture is this idea that you don't actually, if you have a question of your, you know, somebody who could be sitting right next to you, you don't ask them, you type to them in like campfire, the question, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That way it's, you know, I mean, you happen to be co-located, but you're still basically using these remote tools to make it so people who are offsite can still have that same kind of uh, engagement that everyone you know in the physical office has. So that's, I, I think that's, and you're right, it's getting easier. I mean, now I, I know some remote teams that they use Google Hangouts and they'll even, if they're developing, writing code, they'll just keep like webcam sessions open all day to kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> simulate, I guess, a lot of that, the office environment. Um, I don't really know how I feel about that, but, you know, I mean, some, some of these companies go to that extent. What, um, in closing, I just want to, I want to kind of imagine that somebody listening is, I assume the most people listening do not have offices. They're independent consultants and freelancers. Maybe they're starting out, maybe they're, they're seasoned, but you know, they, they, some of them are looking to grow. They're looking to take their solo business to that next level. Um, what are some of the things that you would advise? Um, you know, you already mentioned signage is one I would, I would throw in also, um, there's, there's something to be said when you tell a client that you have a physical office. I think most of that is really, you come off as being lower risk, right? Like if you're just a bunch of people who just work from home, you could evaporate tomorrow. And to a lot of clients, that's kind of a red flag. However, if the client knows that you have, you know, 10 people on staff in an office, they can kind of do some mental math and and figure out, okay, well, that's a lot of money that they need to come up with each month. Obviously, they're doing something right, um, which I found allowed us to get kind of a higher caliber of client when we have a physical office. But what I want to know from you is what are some of the, what are the pros and cons of each? Just if you could maybe like come up with a, almost like a bulleted list, right? Of like column A and column B. Um, somebody's listening and they, they, they're thinking of making that next step forward. Uh, what would you advise them? Sure, absolutely. Let me tackle that slightly differently um, and just kind of contrast the two because I think, I think the missing kind of link here is, well, if you're not going to open an office, then what? Mm-hmm. Um, so what's happened? Well, we got rid of our office uh, Basically, at the start of 2011, it's now 2014, so we've been at it for a while, and we can actually see that, hey, it's worked. And every single year since then, our revenue has just kept climbing up. 
Um, so even though we don't have an office, uh, the company has been growing. Um, and that's, I think, something that people, people just like I made the mistaken association that office space and employees equals growth and success. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people also make the association that getting rid of the office and that whole overhead model instantly means that you're downsizing the business, right. um, which hasn't been true at all. Revenues have kept growing and profits have, frankly, skyrocketed. But you need to admit from the perspective of a client – who mm-hmm. might not understand how remote working works. They might be from a more traditional employment background. Some clients can feel that way. Sure, absolutely. And that was kind of my number one fear then. So if you don't have an office, are all the sales, all the high-value clients going to dry up? Uh, and I have to say that has not been the case whatsoever. Um, and what normally happens uh, with our sales process is – Someone's going to phone us or send us an email asking for information. Uh, We'll have a quick phone chat with them to qualify that lead. And if they're local and it looks like uh, this could be a good project for us, I'll go out and I'll go out to meet them. And it's either going to be someone that's also virtual or more likely it's going to be someone that does have that established office presence. It's kind Mm -hmm. of at a bigger company and so on. Um, And we have a good chat. And by the time the question of office space comes up, if it ever even does, uh, we have gone so much more in depth into their project. We've gotten to know each other. Uh, We've demonstrated that we're right for the job. We do do bank a lot on our existing portfolio, on the fact that we've been around for eight years. Um, I don't know if I've ever really lost a sale because... I said that, you know, we we are remote. I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, I can't promise you that was never part of someone's sales decision-making process, of course. But uh, the room's never gone silent. No one's ever gasped. None of those horror stories that you come up with in your head (laughs) have ever – yeah, it's never actually happened. But that's true because – at that point, the conversation's already gone so much deeper, and there's so many more interesting things to talk about, sure. and we have such better ways of proving our success uh, than saying that, hey, we have an office space. Because you, you could have an office space, and you could be around for a year, uh, and if I'm a savvy business manager, and I see that you've been around for a year, and you have an office you know, I might think just as well that, hey, are these guys going to be around next year? Because I also know how much office space costs. Right, right. Um, you That's know, a we, really we've, we've outlived uh, quite a few local companies yeah. uh, who, you know, kind of put on the same big show we tried to. And then we <laughs> kind of realized, well, maybe that's not the way to profits. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot depends. I mean, frankly, our office overhead was maybe 4% of our profit or our, our revenue, rather. So I think it really just depends on kind of like the kind of company. I mean, you see some companies that go all out and they uh, get a loan to do, you know, a a massive build out. I mean, we, I was almost doing that. Like there was this perfect office space, but it needed a lot of work. I was going to take out a six figure loan to make it really, really sexy. Thank God I did not do this. Um, But, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it it does depend on the the type of the type of work you do. I mean, I I'm good friends with a local agency. They're an interactive agency. They do work for like HBO and Google and these big brands. They do 
you know, uh, the founder just spent, I think he spent a million and a half dollars on the outfitting, but they've got their big team. They do massive projects and their image, that sort of on-site collaborative kind of thing that they do works really well for them. I, I don't, I don't think this company could ever be distributed and have the same kind of, you know, the same output that they're they're They now have. So I, I think it's a, it depends. It's a case by case thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some there are some companies like I think like ours, where there's a good team dynamic. We have the right tools, you know, at, you know, um, we have the right tools. But most importantly, we have the right personnel that are they don't need to be micromanaged. They know how to, you know, there are things that need to get done, and they they we find out ways to get them done without needing to have a quote unquote boss telling them, okay, this is you know what are you doing, what are you working on, and so on. Um, so I think so much of that is just setting the right expectations. Um, I set expectations early on that we would be an on-site, intimate company. And when I started to not be in the office as much, it started to hurt me. So I think so much of that is you really need to make sure that if you're working with other people, especially that they know this is how we work and this is why we work that way. And if you're remote, this is how we sync up. This is how we manage projects. This is how we report where we are. This is, you know, if, if you don't have set office hours, you need to come up with a way to make sure that uh, projects still get done on time. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of expectation setting that I think needs to happen. Oh yes, uh, definitely. And absolutely. That's true. You need to build your team around that. Um, and you do need to create certain expectations. Uh, but it's really interesting because I think I think there's nothing wrong with that model that you described where your friend has a very successful business uh, with a brick-and-mortar shop, the team all in one place. Uh, that's absolutely fantastic, especially when you've got a roster like HBO, uh, Google, and so on. Um, but I would challenge that that you can't do the same thing without having an office. Um, I think you could if you build a culture and a team around it. Um, I think you still could get the same size of client. It would just be, it would be very different. It's, it's uh, a lot more you going on site, you flying on site. Um, for example, I do have a friend uh, and he runs a software consulting company and his company does uh much bigger things than we do. They work on like satellite systems, for example, and programming on satellites. Um, so their contracts are much, much bigger than the things that we do. Um, and he also got rid of his office space. Uh, and he also kind of took a different approach because he very little of the clients that he works with are actually local in any way. Uh, these types of companies, uh, they're, they're all over the place. So he's traveling a lot to the States and so on. So at that point, the office space thing stops mattering. So it, it, it's like you said, it, it really does matter, like what kind of company, what kind of culture, and what kind of brand you're trying to build. Uh, but I think what's really true is that uh, most of our limitations are really our own internal programming. If we believe something can't be done, or it can't be done this way, um, then that's really where uh, you actually limit yourself versus saying, okay, 
I think this is a good idea. I think it's going to work. I'm going to go ahead and try it. And when you do that, uh, oftentimes you'll be surprised. And I, I was very surprised that, you know, not having an office wasn't the death knell for us. That's right. And there's one thing that we haven't mentioned yet that really needs to be said, and that is, I don't know what the market's like in Waterloo, but here where we are in Virginia, my friend with the brick and mortar company, he has a very hard time hiring. He needs to relocate people. He needs to, I mean, he, you know, he's tapped out the local market. Um, when you're remote, though, the world is literally your oyster, right? Like you can, you don't need to have everyone in Waterloo. You can get talent, the best talent for your business, regardless of where they are physically. Oh, absolutely. And that's actually been the same problem in Waterloo uh, because we are kind of one of Canada's kind of startup hubs. Uh, so we have a ton of startup companies, a ton of tech companies. Uh, BlackBerry, until their recent troubles, were a huge source of people getting hired. So you're competing against Canada's top uh, tech for the top tech talent. Uh, it is also a very difficult situation right. when you're in services and consulting and you're not building the next Facebook. Yep. Yep. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed our chat and I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. Where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, sure. So, uh, the main thing I'm doing right now, other than Tilted Pixel, is uh, called Freelance Transformation, and that's at FreelanceTransformation.com, and that's all about how to transform your own freelance business uh, into a company that is, uh, is more profitable, allows you to get the types of clients that you want to get, and lets you build out the type of lifestyle that you want, and that's become my project because with the way I've got Tilted Pixel set up right now, uh, I've had time to uh, set up this next project. And also it's something that I feel like we've gotten to a point where it's like, okay, I got to share this with the world now. So definitely uh, check that out. And of course, there's also Tilted Pixel uh, at TiltedPixel.com. Uh, we do build great websites. Awesome, man. Well, Matt, thanks again. And I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Brandon. So that was Matt. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with him. I'm always I'm always really interested to talk with people who are looking to kind of go beyond solo consulting. And the reason I am is, you know, most obvious is that I took that path also. It's always kind of curious to see what the motivation is for scaling when it comes to headcount. You know, there are multiple ways to scale a consulting business. If you're an individual, you can scale by basically making more money. You can increase your rate. You can become a premium consultant. You can become one of those people who are billing 20, 30,000 a week. Um, or you can scale horizontally, which means adding headcount or, um, you know, growing a team of, of, of other contractors or uh, full-time employees. Um, but f for those who are kind of looking to scale horizontally, you know, there's always, there's always the issue of, well, how do I scale my business development accordingly? Or how do I um, deal with scheduling? How do I promise a, a client um, that they're going to get a result? Or how do I sell a client on a result when I'm not in control of fulfilling that result or there's somebody else in the picture, in that equation? So if you're interested in, in kind of this, the idea of building an agency, uh, building a consultancy, um, I, I'm actually working on a new version or a, a revised kind of way of doing my consultancy masterclass, uh, which you can find at buildingconsultancy.com. 
or if you just go to brendandunn.com and click on products, there's a link to it there. But um, fill in your email at the bottom, and uh, I'm going to be sending out some emails probably in about a month. I'm about to head out tomorrow to um, to go to Florida and then the UK for a few weeks. So I'm going to be out of pocket a bit. But um, yeah, go ahead and put in your email if, if that interests you, and I will I'll follow up with you individually. But um, lastly, uh, again. If you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to see it succeed and you have, or if you have any ideas, um, well, if you enjoy the podcast and would like to see it succeed, please re- leave a review either on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have any ideas about the podcast, uh, please do reach out. All right. I will talk to you soon.